welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. My guest today is Dr. John Kovach, an assistant professor of history at the University of Alabama at Huntsville. John, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you, Marty. I appreciate it. John, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're relatively new in Alabama, a relatively new member of the Alabama Historical Association, and I don't know if everybody knows your background. Uh, I've been in Huntsville for six years now. Moved here from Knoxville, Tennessee, where I attended the University of Tennessee. I'm originally from Maryland, spent most of my formative years in central western Maryland, where I was very lucky to grow up around many, many historic sites, many, many historic resources, without ever really understanding that not everyone has this opportunity. For instance, you know, my fifth grade field trip, I was able to go to Gettysburg, to Antietam, I think in eighth grade, to go to see where Francis Scott Key wrote the national anthem was almost like I thought everyone did this. And so I was very lucky to be surrounded by history. And in fact, at a very early age, I realized that I wanted to be a historian. I had a very supportive family. I was very lucky to go through my teen years lapping history in, and I decided that I wanted to attend uh, West Virginia University and began to study colonial American history, and then very quickly realized that I had a very strong interest in a field that I had never heard of, public history. And I was lucky enough to be mentored by one of the true pioneers of public history, Dr. Barbara Howe, who took me under her wing and provided me with a variety of opportunities in public history. I worked on a World War II theater script project. I worked for the National Archives for a summer doing oral histories with African-American coal miners who had fought in the coal wars in the 1920s and 1930s. And by the time I was done, my undergraduate, I realized very quickly that I was very interested in public history. And so for me, staying with Dr. Howe at West Virginia University seemed like a very natural fit. So for the next two years, I did something that no one had ever done at West Virginia, and that is I got a master's in public history, and I also got a master's in early American history. I did a summer internship with National Park Service at the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal along the Potomac River in Maryland. And from that point on, I was completely hooked and realized that I had aspirations to be a public historian. From there, the National Park Service immediately contacted me back and asked me if I wanted a job. So I worked for the National Park Service for five years as a park ranger along the Sino Canal. It was probably the best five years of my professional life in many ways, that kind of carefree and public historian all the way. And that GS5 pay didn't really matter because I was, I was in park housing. It was a great way of living. From there, after five years, I moved on and I became the chief historian at the National Library of Medicine for a year. Realized that being five floors under the ground in a secure archive was really not who I am in terms of the isolation and type of work. And so from there, I went to the National Library of Civil War Medicine and did some work for them, and then eventually landed at a community college as an instructor, but also as an academic advisor and later an assistant director of admissions. Five years into that job, I realized that I had one more hankering, and that was I wanted a Ph.D. in Southern history. I was accepted to the Ph.D. program at Tennessee, where I studied under Jeff Norell and Steve Ash and Dan Feller. So I was very lucky to have three very 
strong Southern historians or early American historians and was able to tamp down that public history side of me to, to go on and finish my dissertation and get a job at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. When I was offered the job, my department chair, Andy Dunar, and a colleague, Steph Waring, encouraged me when I made the comment about restarting a public history program to go see what I could do. I was really left to my own devices and in some ways not having a budget and not having anything formal in place allowed me to really throw a lot of jello against the wall to see what stuck. In six years, there's a lot of things that didn't stick, and I don't tell anybody what those things are because the only things that they see are very public and so far a very successful approach to creating a public history program, and that is really starting with students first. What skills do they need? What experiences do they need? So when they go out, they can have the same opportunities that I did. You've been able to do that with the public history program that went live this past fall? Yes, fall 2013, uh, made permanent, so we're very excited because for the last five years, we've really been working to get students in the program to get a sense of what the program is about, and so to have the state of Alabama recognize the work that's been done by the students and by the department was really a wonderful accomplishment, and it gives us a solid footing to be a leader in the state. For me, the personal and professional goal is to become one of the leaders in public history in the state of Alabama. You have a project going on with the Smithsonian. Can you tell me about that? These are one of the kinds of projects that I've done for free through the generosity of the Alabama Humanities Foundation, and I really do appreciate their support. The Smithsonian has a traveling exhibit program called Museums on Main Street. These go across the country. They've been in, I think, 48 of the 50 states. One that the state of Alabama received is called The Way We Worked. And The Way We Worked is a traveling exhibit about how Americans have worked over time. When Tom Bryant and Armand Geiser contacted me about being the lead scholar on this project, I realized that this is truly the type of project and program that excites me. My job is to really personalize the traveling exhibit. It's going to be in six towns in 2013 and 14, and I just announced that it's going to be in six more towns 2014 and 15. And my job is to add flesh around the bone. In reality, when you get a Smithsonian traveling exhibit, you get the name Smithsonian, and you get 8 to 12 very large folding panels of a cold, sterile subject. And I don't mean that as a negative, but you're just getting some pictures. And it's my job to add the human story, the local story, to the way we worked. I expressed an interest in doing an oral history project in the now 12 sites that we'll be, we'll be visiting. Either Each stop, I go in and I do an oral history workshop with local high school and middle school teachers. I've created a worksheet that goes to every elementary school and middle school student in every county that we're in. They take the sheet home and they interview someone that they find interesting about the way we work in, say, Red Bay, Alabama. All right, that's what the first stop was in Franklin County. In the end, what I hope is that we have 12 places that now have oral histories and written records of the way we work. One thing that I've really stressed the way we work doesn't just mean we're focusing on the people who wear overalls and carry lunch pails, that they're part of the story, but important to the story is the person who stayed home and raised the children, cleaned the house, cooked, washed. Being productive is the way we work. And so I want to track how the way we have been productive in Alabama has changed over time. When I usually go into a community, the second lecture that I give is a public lecture that talks about the way we worked in Alabama. 
and I start with slavery, and I start with yeoman farmers, and then I, I go to convict labor leasing, and I go to child labor, and then I go to the factories and the, and the mines, and then I remind people of the fact that during this entire time, there's people at home, uh, in the fields, and students in school. Uh, again, another example of the way we worked. And so it's been a lot of fun over the past summer here, and knowing that I still have two more years of this, and, and overall, like I said, it's, it's exciting for me to visit 12 small communities in the state of Alabama. What are some of the communities that you have visited, and what are some of the things you didn't expect to find that you did find? For this year and the beginning of next year, uh, I'll be in Red Bay, Ashland, Andalusia, Northport, Fairhope, and Wetumpka. This was so successful, this first go-around, they were so excited to have a lead scholar to be engaged and willing to travel to all these places. They added six more, Pell City, Coleman, Athens, Demopolis, and I and I cannot remember the last two because I just I've only heard it once. But it's it's mostly focusing on small Alabama communities. The thing that I love most about local history, or if I could steal a phrase, nearby history, is the amount of pride in these communities. These are small communities. Someone from outside of the state of Alabama would say that no one in Red Level Alabama has a right to be proud of their past. And then when you go to Red Level Alabama, what you realize is when you meet the students, you meet the uh, the school administrators, you meet the people who live in that town, they are as proud of Red Level Alabama as anyone anywhere that I've been. And I think for me that, is, that has been so infectious to be around and to internalize that excitement and that emotion about their place. and. They envision their contribution to the exhibit to include the city museum run by Scotty Kennedy that is probably one of the best museums in the state. Of, and you wouldn't necessarily think about going to Red Bay, Alabama to see this fabulous little museum. That has been the most wonderful part of this is that I got to go to Andalusia and spend three days talking to people and go to OP and go to Red Level and go to these small communities. That's, I would have no other reason to go out and explore these places. I have the opportunity to meet these wonderful people who have a fabulous past, and now it's my opportunity to help them expand what they've already created. I just feel like a facilitator, a switchboard operator. Red Level Alabama is calling out to the world, and the world doesn't have a clue what Red Level Alabama is or Red Bay Alabama is, and this is a, an opportunity for them to kind of plug in and let other people just see how much pride they have. What things do you think you might be producing, your students might be producing, the communities themselves might be producing? I've encouraged them to really think about how to be creative with these oral histories. And in Red Bay, it's absolutely been a joy to watch how creative they plan to get with these things. And that is that the local community is going to put them on their library website. You know, all the things you typically think of using an oral history. But there's also a group of very creative people there that want to make a community theater script about the way we worked. Artwork, I know that's been something we've talked about with different communities. To some degree, it's kind of like being Johnny Appleseed in that you're planting a seed of confidence and that someone from the outside comes in and doesn't look down and doesn't condescend and doesn't say, oh, how cute this is. But I feel like I come in and I notice and I acknowledge the pride that they have, the history they have is so interesting. And I feel like, or the oral histories that you collect, are seeds that will produce future projects that I can't even envision. And so when I leave, I feel like three oral histories are better than two. Two oral histories are better than one, and one oral history is better than none. And so 
if we get one oral history out of an area, that's one more than they had before. For someone in the future to hear about how there was a hat maker in Red Level, Alabama, who was so famous that people from San Francisco and Seattle and New York would buy hats, and then they would ship them right on the train that goes right through Red Level. And so those are the kinds of things that I think most excite me, is that I don't even know the product. Because for someone that's going to follow up after me and say, wow, this is really neat information, I'm going to use it in a way I can't even imagine, is really exciting for me. I'm working with a friend right now on an idea for a book that is somewhat public history oriented, but that really focuses on something that he sees as a native Alabamian and something that I see as a transplant. And that is, there is a sense of Alabama history is something that you'd be shamed of at some level because you have these people that nationally resonate as a negative through the civil rights movement or the civil war or convict leasing, whatever the case may be. And he made a very interesting comment. When he goes from Athens, Alabama to Chattanooga, it's more with an idea of getting to Chattanooga rather than embracing the fact that he's going through Scottsboro, Alabama, one of the most important national historical sites there are for civil rights is that even as a historian, he drives through Scottsboro and almost feels like the, that Alabamians don't understand just how national, how international their history is and that it's a positive. And I think for me as a transplant, I came here from Tennessee and before that West Virginia. And, and if you want to know about pride in a state, spend a week in West Virginia. When I moved to Tennessee, you can feel the state pride of Tennessee. And when I moved to Alabama, the angle we're going to take with this potential book project is writing about Alabama history from the perspective of an insider and as an outsider. And I feel like my job as an outsider is to say, you have so many things to be proud of. You have so many things to highlight. You have so many things to tout, not just as local history, but as important national history. You know, if it's, if it's German scientists in Huntsville, if it's Jesse Owens, if it's Helen Keller, if it's the incredible commercial development of Mobile before the Civil War, if it's Daniel Pratt, if it's the businessmen of Antebellum Montgomery, this is really what I find most interesting about the state of Alabama. You have a lot of things that you should be proud of. Why not shove those to the forefront as well? I think that will go a long way in how Alabamians see their past. It sounds like you have a whole bunch on your plate. I have two young boys, Tom and Ben, my wife Anne, and I love it here. And there, it's not, let me get my plate full, let me get my CV full so I can get out of Alabama. To me, this is last stop. I'm young enough where I say last stop that this is a pretty large commitment on my family's part and my part that last stop means that I hope in, in 20 years, having done something for the status of public history, southern history, and local history before I finish my work. What have I forgotten to ask you? I would love to see Alabamians bring the state closer together through a shared history. And I feel that in my short time here, I've gotten to know people like you, Steve Murray, Aaron Shapiro before he left, Ken know that the academic community have already gotten closer. So I see the glass not just half full, but almost getting to the point of overflowing. John, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you, Marty. I appreciate it, and thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at City Stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org.